Norwegians back in pre-season training, but a new look for one of them. Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. We'll speak to Wales women's scrum half Kira Bevan later and also find out more about the Fit Fed Fun campaign. We'll start by finding out much more about the rebranding of the Dragons RFC. Chairman David Buttress explained his thinking. So why are we doing it? I think 20 years ago, I don't think Welsh rugby spent enough time thinking about and doing a rigorous enough process around mm. what should the representation be across the, the new pro game as that was then formed. Yeah. So 10 months ago, we said, look, certainly since I've been involved, you know, this has been a consistent question around identity. And I've obviously listened a lot over the years. And over the last 10 months, I wanted to just do a really rigorous process, talk to all the stakeholders, the pros and the cons, the Newport promoters, the Gwent rugby promoters, the regional perspective, the local perspective, the city perspective, and really genuinely get into it properly. And at the end of it, I was determined at the end of it, that would be the end of it. We're going to go through it, pull all the drains up, ask ourselves all these questions you're now asking, and then be really clear about what we think we are. And I think what you see here, so why Dragons? The simple answer is, we've been the Dragons for 20 years now. We're developing our own history, and uh, we feel really proud of that, and we want to continue to develop that over the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, and leave that legacy and establish that brand. But I don't think we could have done that without having this process have been really clear. So that's why Dragons, because you know, if I speak to some of the kids around here and you see them coming on match days, we have an identity now that's developing and we want to build it. In terms of branding and imagery, you know, we use dragons a lot around the stadium. We have it in the lounges. We have the tail still on the back of the shirt. So we'll, have, we'll still be using some of the imagery on the leisure wear. But I don't think you need to have a literal dragon placed um, everywhere on your bed or your crest to capture the name. I think we can do that in other ways. That's why we felt really strong at the end of this that we want to be dragons. We looked at everything in the name. So there was nothing off the table. We considered all names, including do we insert place name back into it, Newport? Do we insert Gwent back into it? And having really thought about it carefully, we felt we didn't need to. We think Dragons is strong enough on its own and we're very comfortable to continue to develop our brand um, in that way. We didn't feel the need that that was necessary. And probably secondly, coupled to that, you know, I personally, and I know we all do, feel extraordinary respect for Newport's history. Um, Newport RFC's history, and I did not in any way uh, want us to be seen or to encroach on that because I think, you know, as a rugby fan myself and as a local boy, I really respect and love Newport's history, and I think we want to support them as best we can. The last thing we ever want to do is be seen to do anything other than that. So that's why we stayed away from that. I don't think it was necessary to put it back in. And unlike Cardiff and the Scarlets, I think it's different for us because 20 years ago we went on a different path. Whereas I think for Cardiff last year, it was a logical move for them because they were always Cardiff rugby in my mind. Yeah, they were a continuation. Whereas we, obviously, 20 years ago, went on a different path. And that's why, therefore, it wasn't the right thing for us to do. The other thing people notice is, is the RFC, Rugby Football Club. How does that tie in with what some people would see you as a region? Because, like, for example, the Ospreys define themselves as a, as a regional franchise. Cardiff would describe themselves as a rugby club with regional responsibilities for Pathway. Why RFC and how do you describe what you are? Yeah, so again, stepping back, you know, over the last 20 years, I've spent most of my career building brands. And one of the most important things you do as a brand is be authentic to what you feel you are and what you are in practice. That's the most important North Star 
I think the best brands get right. So why RFC? In Wales, I think, I grew up around rugby clubs. We have rugby clubs. We have rugby clubs. That's who we are. When I come here, I, I say I'm going to the club. If I think about who we are with our community, uh, we're a club. If I think about it for our supporters, they go come down the club and we behave like a club in terms of with our relationship with our supporters and our community. The players, everything we try to create around players and staff is in the context of what I would describe as a rugby club. I think that's a key value in Welsh rugby. I feel really strong about this. It was probably me that advocated this point the most, is that we really need to be authentic to that. So we've inserted the RFC because we are a rugby club with regional pathway responsibilities for developing Gwent rugby. We take that regional responsibility develop pathway extraordinarily seriously. It's why you now see underneath the badge, we are Gwent rugby. We're very clear about it. You'll see that language around us. You know, we represent all the Gwent rugby pathway. We're very proud to do so because of the historic, I think, strength and values of great rugby teams from Gwent. So we're very strong to say, the, our, you know, this team represents that area. But we see ourselves nevertheless very clearly as a, and feel um, that we are authentically a rugby club, but has, takes our regional responsibility to develop the town pathway very seriously. But we want to be really clear about that. And I think that was right, by the way, I think that's right for Welsh rugby. Because I think that's authentically what we have in Wales. I presume it's the fleur de lis on there, which seems to be on the crest of Monmouthshire. What was the thinking behind those three there? Yeah, so go back to what I just said. So we felt, you know, historically we wanted to connect and be really clear about what we represent. I think badges should represent what and who you are. And we believe that we represent very strongly and proudly the Gwent Regional Rugby Development Pathway. And when we thought about, well, what captures that? I think the best thing I saw that captured it was that if you were selected to play for Gwent in years gone by, this is the crest or similar version of this crest. We've obviously developed it. Similar version of this crest is, with the, is the badge you'd wear on your shirt. If you were selected as good enough to represent Gwent at rugby, this would be the historic Monmouthshire Gwent badge that would be on your shirt. So we felt that this actually really perfectly encapsulated, um, therefore, what we represent. And then we've obviously iterated and added the black and amber because... We have this sort of internal dialogue where we say to ourselves, we play in the city, uh, but we prepare in the valleys. And we represent this Gwent regional pathway that means a lot to us. So we've used a little bit of creativity to say, this is who we strongly are. We represent, obviously, this region, i.e. Gwent Rugby. But the black and amber, we felt, was an important iteration because we play in Newport and we're very proud to play in Newport. And if you think about you know, the teams of this city, they play in black and amber. That's what you do. You know, I think it was a mistake in years gone by to insert red into a professional team based in Newport representing Gwent Rugby. I think, you know, black and amber is this city's colours. And if we play at Rodney Parade, which we do, we should represent the city's colours, which are black and amber. Which is why we've gone a little bit strong on the black and amber. And absolutely, you know, no apologies for that. I think it's very important that we did. And we'll continue to develop that. And in the away shirt, we've added all the colours of the clubs of Gwent into that shirt to make sure in the away shirt has the has flex in it and has the colours of every club in Gwent. So I think we've tried to be really clear, therefore, what is it we stand for and why. For the ownership of the future of the, the, the rugby club in terms of whether you're going to go independent. Obviously, as you said before, COVID knocked that back a bit. Where do you lie on that moment at the moment? You're currently on the union, what's the future? Yeah, I mean... To get our branding right, and I think to park this question once and for all, I don't think it matters who owns the club. This this should have been done 20 years ago. Arguably, with hindsight, I should have done this four years ago. 
But over the, it's been quite an interesting exercise to go through this the last two, three years and listen to people because, you know, I've genuinely had looked at every angle. Do we insert Newport, Gwen? Do we, all that, and I've listened to all sides. I've even had one-to-one -one Zoom calls during COVID with some of the, I would describe myself historic sort of die-hard supporters on both sides of the fence. Um, so I think um, whoever owns this club, I'm very confident this is the right brand imagery and how and why we should represent ourselves this way. I think it's very clear to me this is the right outcome. I, you know, I've had 10 months to cogitate over this. I'm very confident we've done the right things. Yes, you know, whenever you do stuff like this, there'll be people who like it and don't, but I'm very clear in our own minds, we're very clear this is the end of this discussion, the end of the process, we're happy with it. So I don't think it matters who owns the club. I think in terms of the wider question of what's going to happen to the ownership of this club, I think it will have to go into private hands sooner rather than later. I think, you know, it's very clear that in Wales, I'm pretty clear that we're going to be going down um, a four professional clubs, privately owned model. So by definition, if this club is owned by the union, it will have to, at some point in the very near future, have to be privately owned on that basis. You can't have three and one, you have to have four. So I think, yeah, that's where this will end up. You go back 20 years, you had two factions. One said it had to have Newport in, the other one said it had to be reflective of rent. So you're quite right, they started on the basis that they didn't really know what they wanted. What you've done now is you've, in effect, incorporated what you've got a clear identity about in terms of the region. But this is, as you said, a, a strong message moving forward. I think the point for me is authenticity and rigour with no compromise. You can't compromise when you build brands. You have to be clear and strong about what it is you stand for and why. And I think 20 years ago, it was fudged. And I understand the pressures. I wasn't there, so it's easy to criticise when you went in the room. Very easy. So it's not a critique of that, but it, I, I will critique where it got to because it was clearly fudged and compromised. It was and, divisive. Yeah, and, and I think it didn't need to be, is the point. It didn't need to be. So, yeah, we looked at all that. We, we also looked not just at place names. We looked at, do you come up with something, an alternative? But we feel, you know, you know we, we have 20 years now. We mustn't forget that, for good and for bad. We're not trying, therefore, to do anything other than say, we feel really confident now about what this is and what it's going to be and what it stands for. And we are going to unashamedly, therefore, going to continue to build this brand. And over time, of course, it'll establish itself in its own right. That's what happens to brands. The fact that you put all this effort into it would suggest that you're pretty confident you're still going to be here in a few years' time. If I didn't love this place, I wouldn't be here, mate. Because I tell you, because Welsh rugby <laughs> has been one of the great labours of my life. You know, in the last four years, I love everything about this club. I love the ground. I love the area. I love the people I've connected to. I love the guys I work with. If you ask my wife, which is a good litmus test, right, what's the job that he's loved the most since you, you know, we've been together since I was, she'd say he loves the Dragons. He, whenever he goes to Dragons, he goes happy, excited. <laughs> Even when we've lost, you know, I'll come home and I'm depressed, obviously, but I'll still say I love the club. You know, some things are more important than... Um, than anything else and when you really genuinely love and care about something there's no question in my mind it's like saying to me do I no longer want to be involved in anything else I love and care about of course I can't ever envision a time where I wouldn't want to be involved here I love the place and that's in spite of Welsh Rugby on Times literally destroying the last of my hairline uh, in terms of frustration <laughs> you have a confidence whether you're here or not that there will be four professional rugby teams 
there has to be. I mean, it, there has to be. The analogy I always say to myself about it, or when I looked at the data, I think, you know, Welsh rugby doesn't sometimes use data enough. When you look at the data, the question I ask myself since the game went professional is, or ask the question, where's the evidence that says you can win a World Cup with three teams? Where's the evidence? And I'm not signing up for any plan that means my kids can never see Wales win a World Cup on Grand Slams. I'm not signing up for any plan. And anyone I think that signs up for a plan that says that, frankly, should get out of the way and let, because Welsh rugby deserves four teams because that gives it the best chance to compete and win World Cups and Grand Slams. And, you know, this is our national sport and we need to be galvanised around that. We should all care. Anyone who's advocating three or two teams, frankly, should go and support sides that compete at the lower end of Six Nations and should go and, and get knocked out in yeah. group stages of World Cups. Because I'm not interested in that for Wales, and I'm definitely interested in my tiny bit that I'm involved in. I'm not interested in that being my legacy for Welsh rugby. You know, like most people who support the game, I, you know, I first watched a Wales game on the Upper East Schoolboy Terrace, and I didn't see Wales win a championship until 2005, <laughs> Grand Slam, under Mike Ruddock, a great man. I do not want my kids to spend the first... I think I was 20, I was definitely in my 20s when that happened. I think if we go and end up redu reducing ourselves, you're condemning the next generation of rugby support for that kind of experience. And that would be criminal given the last 10, 15 years. It's slightly over a tangent, but I guess the issue is how do you then finance for us? There's plenty of money in Welsh rugby. I'm sorry I don't accept it. I'm sorry there's plenty of money. You know, and if there's not enough money, if there's not enough rugby, then let's go and find it. Let's challenge ourselves to grow. Now, in the end, that's why you do these jobs. That's why you're paid big bucks. Obviously, I'm a volunteer, but I mean metaphorically speaking. You know, when, when I was a CEO with Just Eat, we started with no money and made 37 quid in the first month in terms of turnover. So don't tell me Welsh rugby, with the supporter base it's got, 70-odd thousand all-seater stadium with a roof on it, that we can't grow sufficient capital and, and money in order to support four teams successfully. You've got some of the best private equity investors in the world investing in professional rugby. They're not doing it because they're driven by a pure sense of love of the game of rugby, like some of us, they're doing it because they think it's going to make sense the next five, ten years financially. So Welsh rugby simply needs, I think, to focus all its energy on improving and developing, yes, the financing of the game, the running of the professional game, and that will allow it to grow and get to a place where we can all enjoy the success of it, whether that's the professional, the community, every part, the men's, the women's, all of it. We should not convince ourselves when there's a shortage of money. What we prioritise, we do with that money, I think, is the issue. We've got an opportunity next year, 20 years of, uh, of regional rugby, to say, let's have a relaunch. I think, to be fair, everyone I've met in Welsh rugby does, in pro honestly, cares. And I think the challenge is we don't finance the pro game sufficiently to be competitive. And then there's lots of things we can do better ourselves, by the way. The pro game can definitely do lots of things better, and we should. But I think in Wales sometimes we do complicate the simplicity of the problem of the four professional challenge teams that are faced, which is that the league's getting better. We don't invest enough financially. As a result, they struggle to perform. As a result, people develop a negative perception. This is really as simple as that. Honestly, Welsh rugby does complicate itself. because, And then where it goes to, it, it navel-gazes itself back to region this, history that, club game that. It's like, no, if we'd have had 10 years of unrivaled success, no one would be talking about it. No one would be saying what a brilliant decision it was. And let's not forget, in terms of Team Wales, 
it served it very well. It served it very well. So there is, you know, the, the program supports Team Wales extraordinarily well and continue to do so throughout COVID. So, you know, I think there's a lot of good things I can say about it. So I think what we need to do now is accept where we are. There's no point uh, papering over any cracks. It's an absolute challenge and a tough place. We've come out of COVID. It's made it even harder financially. But we have to invest in the professional game. Then I think what you'll start to see over time is a reversal of that perception because we'll start to have some success. People go, oh, hang around. This is working well at club level. And then we can start to grow. But we have to accept that's the sequencing. That's it. I think everyone's trying to answer these questions. I think it's not easy after COVID. There is, of course, we're financially... There are challenges after COVID. And, you know, ultimately, of course, there's never enough money to go around. Of course, there's not. But you have to prioritise correctly. So I think everyone in the room agrees, though. Everyone in the room agrees. I can certainly say, since I've been involved, this has been the best period of discussion I've had at the Professional Rugby Board. I think the Welsh Rugby Union guys are trying as much as they can to help. And I think we've just got to continue to work at this now. We have to make a solution. But we have to make a solution now. We can't kick the can another year. We can't find a stopgap solution to get us to the World Cup. We've got to put a plan in place now for the next two, three, four years, because as we all know, the URC will continue to become competitive. I mean, I have to say, I watched the final, obviously the Stormers and the Bulls, it was a really good game. High, high quality rugby match. It was better than the Premiership final, right? It was a high quality rugby game. We have got a really decent league with some very good teams in it. So we need to take care of our end as Welsh rugby, because I'd love to see uh, Welsh teams in that sort of occasion. It was a really good game, that final, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be. That's the bit that frustrates me. There's no reason why we shouldn't be. Can I just ask you about Malcolm Wall? I mean, what sort of impression he's made? Brilliant. You know, really grateful to Malcolm. You know, it's very difficult publicly to say much, obviously, because obviously so a lot of the discussions are in private, but as a professional person who's joined Welsh rugby, the, the energy and time and challenge and experience that Malcolm has brought and actually, sorry, the one thing he's brought, getting something done. He's actually trying to get something yeah, done. Yeah. And that's, you know, Malcolm's really driving a process here. We don't know where yet we're going to end up, but he's definitely driving a process. And I, for one, am relieved that we have someone of Malcolm's quality doing that. So, yeah, I'm delighted he's here, actually. I didn't know him before. He's doing a brilliant job. He's doing a brilliant job. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. So, plenty of interesting thoughts there and good to hear. Also on the good news front, the WIU is setting new standards within world sport with its recently launched rugby-themed Fit Fed Fun Camps to support children and families throughout Wales during the school holidays. The new initiative has been run in partnership with WE Soda, the world's largest producer of natural soda ash. The WIU Fit Fed Fun Camps are free to attend and running throughout Wales this summer during the school holidays, feeding thousands of children in some of the nation's most under-resourced areas. Here's WIU Community Director Garrett John. The first aim of this is actually provide activities, get children having fun and also to feed them. I think the, the word there I said, having fun and coming to an environment. They may not have been to Morrison Rugby Club before, they may not have a you know, through their parents, a need to come to Morrison Rugby Club. But hopefully at the end of the day, they've come here, they've had fun, they've met other people, they've been fed. Will they come in September? That's not the ultimate aim, 
but we'd be wrong to say well that hopefully may happen as well that will help increase participation but hopefully the children will come back to you know whether it's to Morriston or yesterday was at Nantafetlan or wherever the camps are they'll go back there because of, of the certain thing they've had fun and they've enjoyed themselves and they feel it's a safe environment and that good coaching and I think that's the key part for us so like anything in participation whether you're talking about rugby or any sport children stay in it because they enjoy it and have fun and they're good quality coaching and we aim to provide that as part of the day as well and hopefully children will come back there and that'll help in terms of participation we know that but the, as I said it's not the be all and end all of this matter but we know there's they're the, probably the unintended consequences that may happen from today which is great for us as well. There's a very serious side to this and what's the ambition and how surprised have you been at maybe what you've seen? I think sort of the ambition of this is actually to help and support young families and children who don't have food on a regular basis. And we know right now during holiday time and there's not as much free school meals, you know, we know some education departments are doing that for the children we know aren't being fed as, as they normally would be fed if it's a school term. And children have turned up here today, not had breakfast this morning, asking us what type of food is this, asking us do we have to pay, we say no. I went to a camp yesterday, they had baked potato, cheese and beans. Never seen that before, ever. Didn't know what it was, children didn't know what it was. So has it surprised us? Yes. But then you see the smiles, children being energetic, people having fun, people linking with the different people they haven't seen before, having good quality coaching. It actually really is, that's what we actually look at. And you know, the food part there helps support, you know, breakfast this morning, lunch, and they'll take away a snack later on. So uh, ambition wise, Right now, we want to do 600 of these every single year. People say, well, can you do it every single day? Probably we couldn't do that alone, but the ambition is to keep growing, get as many people, whether it's 8,000, 10,000 children active, 10,000 children becoming healthier. We have a healthier Wales, right? Being fed, that's our goal here, because right now, around the corner, with everything that could happen, you know, we, if you hear the news every single day right now, all people talk about energy bills, energy crisis, and the cost of living. If we can help and provide some support to young families and children, then for us, we feel we're on the right track and doing it through the means of rugby is great for us. So, plenty of interesting thoughts there and good to hear. But how are Wales women getting on as they prepare for their World Cup warm-up games? Here's scrum half Kira Bevan and how she found the pre-season training section. Um, pretty tough, I think. As pre-seasons go, I think this has probably been one of the hardest ones I've personally done. And I think as a squad as well, we're constantly pushing each other and expecting more from each other as well. So, yeah, the standards have been fairly high as well, which is really good to see. Toughest from a rugby and a physical point of view. But mm. in the past, you've had to try and balance pre-season mm. with a life. So, yeah. in some ways, at least you're focusing on one thing. Yeah, it's, it's so easy, well, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy, but it's easier to just come here, do a job on the pitch for about an hour and a half, you know, do your gym and your skills and all that sort of stuff, and then go home and kind of switch off a little bit. And it's nice to be able to have the evenings to do that, which obviously previously we've, we've never had. So I think that's a massive blessing that we can actually go home, switch off, have a good dinner and come back in and raring to go again the next day. So it's been really beneficial. So what are the highlights of the last few weeks been for you? It's highlights the right um, word. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think probably just like the feeling I've, I've felt after a session because they, they've been really, really tough and just knowing like it's in the bank, we're one step closer and I think just 
relief, I think, that we are getting closer to more rugby elements of, of training and obviously getting closer to Canada and New Zealand, which does keep you going a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> well, of course, some of you have been mm. professional for a little while, but now mm. that the whole squad mm. is professional, how different is that? Oh, massive. Like, before of us, when there was just 12 of us in, like, in that, like, Six Nations block, there was only so many things you could do or speak to, whereas now, you know you can go speak to a group of people here, a group of people there, and it does really break up the day a little bit more as well. And to have 30, 35 people all in the same boat, like working hard for each other, it's class to see. And has it made a difference in the team bonding side too? I think so. And we've got these like mini teams that, that we do. And when we went to Green Mile, like we've still got that competitive element edge to it, but it was made quite fun. And it was that was about working together and how we can adapt as a team. You know, I think we had to carry like a 50 kilo log around the place. So, you know, you have to work together like outside of a rugby environment. So, yeah, it's great to see stuff like that happening. Yeah. And all the things like the army training, that stuff mm. that the men have done a lot and mm. occasionally the women's game. But mm. to have that sort of stuff coming in, it just shows a parity in the training. Yeah, massively. And I think that like the training standard's gone up another a level. You know, we've had Ben come in as well to help us with, you know, like the um, more aggressive side of the game as well. So and, and I think the girls have taken massive learnings from that and just being confident, you know, being in like that physical battle on the pitch, which is probably something that hasn't been our strongest point. So to have him come in and, you know, make us like fairly uncomfortable in those situations, hopefully that'll only benefit us when we play New Zealand, Australia and things like that. And of course, you've got Canada coming up, mm. going away on tour. That's going mm. to be a new experience for a lot of you as well. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we've played Canada a couple of times, but they've always come here to play. And, you know, to go there, I don't think many of us have been to Canada either. So that'll be a new experience. And I think just getting used to spending time with each other before we head off to New Zealand is going to be really important for our prep as well. And then that England game, that'll be a pretty important sign of where you are, won't it? They're probably favourites, aren't they, if we're being totally honest, come September, October time. So if we can test ourselves against them, you know, just before we go and really see where we're at, you know, hopefully it'll only benefit us, you know. So, you know, we've got New Zealand in our pool. So if we're playing them, their home World Cup, you know, they'll want to make a statement. But playing England before we leave will only benefit us, hopefully. Yeah, New Zealand is home in the pool, Australia close to home. Yeah. Scotland first. It's a tough group. Just, just give us your assessment of that. Yeah, I think we can't really look further than, than Scotland. You know, I think being quite transparent, if we lose our opening game, it's, it's an uphill battle. Because then we have New Zealand and then Australia. You know, we're putting ourselves in a very difficult situation. And I'm pretty sure the Scotland girls will probably be seeing the same. You know, that first game is a must win. We know each other inside and out. We play each other every year. But yeah, that first game is a must win for us. Otherwise, it, it's no point in really being there, to be honest. Has the competition for places changed? Maybe not for <coughs> you so much because there were two scrum halves mm. in the in the first professional group, mm. but across the board, have you seen a difference there? Yeah, I think so. I think we're making training quite competitive or as competitive as it can be without having too much rugby elements at the minute. So, you know, the coaches are constantly looking at GPS data, you know, who's working hard off the ball and, you know, the stuff that people watching a game will probably notice, like, oh, so-and-so scored. They're very much like, right, who's working hard off the ball, who's doing this, who's helping, so-and-so. And for the people who probably don't do the flashy things on the pitch, it's an opportunity for them to really show how hard-working they are by that data. So competition's definitely up there. And I think, to be honest, probably now, you probably couldn't pick a start in 15 at the minute just because of how hard everyone's working for each other. That's it for this week's Wash Rugby Union podcast. Plenty more next week, of course. But until then, goodbye.